the James Webb Space Telescope. It has been called by some the greatest scientific breakthrough of this past year. Uh, one of the many things about this telescope, which I personally find interesting, is where it's located. Unlike the Hubble telescope, which orbits the Earth like one of the many satellites that goes round and round our planet, the James Webb Telescope actually orbits the Sun rather than the Earth. Uh, but images from this telescope started being released to the public in July of 2022, and some of the images have really been amazing that they have put out for us to see. Human beings are curious about the universe and about who else might be out there. Astronomers have been looking and listening for signs of life out in the vastness of space for years and years. And it's not hard to understand why. I mean, scientists now estimate that there is somewhere between 6 and 20 trillion galaxies in the universe. And add to that, then, the millions and billions of stars that make up those galaxies, and then the number of those stars that likely have planets of some kind. I mean, that is a lot of possible places for someone to call home. To date, though, no actual provable evidence of any kind has come out that there is other intelligent life out there other than us. Now, there are a number of ideas that have been put forth about why that is, making some very interesting discussions around the water cooler and also providing plot lines for lots of books and TV shows and movies. But no one really knows. The Bible it doesn't speak directly one way or the other about life in other places in the universe. What we do know is this. The creator of this vast universe has communicated with us, and he invites us to communicate with him. This is our final week in a series of Bible studies looking at the basic blueprint that the first believers followed found in Acts 2.42, and we're looking at this to remind us of the essentials that we need to be devoting ourselves to as followers of Jesus Christ. So in Acts 2.42, if you have your Bible, you can flip over there. Uh, Acts 2.42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. There are four things mentioned that these early Christians devoted themselves to which formed the foundation of their lives in their church. They were the apostles' teaching, or the Word of God, fellowship, the breaking of bread, or worshiping together, and fourth, prayer. Now, we've talked about worship, we've talked about the Word of God, we've talked about fellowship, and today we're going to talk about prayer. Well, what is prayer? There have been thousands, maybe millions, of books written on the topic of prayer, discussing every imaginable aspect of the topic. But simply stated, prayer is communicating with God. Praying, at its most 
elementary level is actually a very intuitive thing for us to do. Human beings instinctively pray when faced with overwhelming circumstances. There is an inherent response within the human heart to cry out to God. Many things in life are out of our control. There are things that they're too big, they're too confusing, they're too scary. And our reflex response to these things is to pray. I mean, I see people pray, even those who don't believe in God, cry out to God in these difficult times. Now, although prayer is a reflex like crying out to God in one sense, prayer is intended to be much more than that. Prayer is the bridge between the two realms of reality that we exist in as human beings, the physical and the spiritual. Prayer is the way that we reach across from the physical into the spiritual realm. And we hear from God as he speaks to us from the spiritual realm into the physical realm in which we live. Through prayer, we communicate with God. We worship Him. We thank Him. We love Him. We share our lives, our joys, our sorrows, our worries with Him. We ask Him for help, and we listen for His voice and His guidance. Prayer is a key way for us to carry out our relationship with God. If you never communicate with a friend, who tends, uh, what, what tends to happen to that relationship? Well, you tend to drift apart, don't you? The easy, comfortable trust that you used to have with each other can be lost. Uh, you lose touch with the details of each other's lives. Well, the same kind of thing happens when we don't communicate with the Lord regularly through prayer. We begin to drift apart. We begin to lose touch with the details of His will and His plan for our life. We begin to feel insecure about our relationship with the Lord. We lose that comfortable trust that we used to have in Him. To have the best possible relationship with the Lord, we need to be doing these same things we see the early believers doing. We need to live a life of worship. We need to immerse ourselves in the Word of God. We need to devote ourselves to the fellowship of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we need to be engaged in regular communication with the Lord through prayer. Jesus himself had a very active prayer life. We see him praying often and regularly throughout his life on earth. He engaged in private prayer, getting up early in the morning when everyone else was still sleeping and going off to a solitary place to pray. Now, if the Son of God needs to pray, there's no question that we need to pray. He also engaged in a great deal of public prayer, praying for his disciples and for the people that are seeking his help and listening to his teachings. Jesus, he taught his followers to pray. He taught us to be honest and sincere when praying and to never do it for show. Matthew 6.5. He taught us to always pray and not give up, even though the answer may be slow in coming. Luke chapter 18. He taught us that we must pray in order to have authority in the spiritual realm. Mark chapter 9, verse 29, for example. He taught us to pray for those who mistreat us. Matthew 5, 44. He taught us to pray for God to move on the hearts of more people to share in the work of sharing the gospel of Jesus with others. Matthew 9.38. And he also gave us an example prayer to, 
to know how to be better prayers. Matthew 6, 9, for example, the Lord's Prayer. Now, the, the, the question that I ask here, though, is what kind of prayer life did the people in the early church have? I want to take a look at some of the examples that are found in the book of Acts, which show us the prayer life of those early believers. So if you'll flip over to Acts, and you can just kind of follow along as we go through many of these examples, traveling through the book of Acts here this morning. But first, to begin, following the execution of Jesus and then his resurrection, he spent the next 40 days with his disciples, teaching them and giving them his final instructions. He told them at the end of that period of time to stay in Jerusalem and to wait for the gift that the Father promised, which would be the Holy Spirit coming upon them. Jesus then ascended to heaven, and he didn't see them anymore. In Acts chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those first days, when the disciples found themselves alone now, without Jesus physically present with them, the activity that they engage in is praying together constantly in prayer. The church literally starts with prayer. Before there were sermons, before there were miracles, before there were missions, before there was worship music, before there were small groups, before there were potluck dinners, before there was anything else that the church has ever done, there was prayer. Prayer was first. Prayer must always be first and present. Well, the first major decision that the disciples faced was finding a replacement for Judas Iscariot, who had betrayed Jesus. How would they know who to select to take the spot vacated by Judas? Well, in Acts 1.24, it tells us that they prayed and asked the Lord to show them. The early believers prayed over decisions to be made. In Acts chapter 3, Peter healed a crippled man at the temple and then took the opportunity to preach about Jesus to the crowd of people who had gathered. And when the temple authorities showed up, they were greatly disturbed, it says in Acts 4.2, with what Peter and John were teaching the people. So they had them arrested and put in jail. And the next day, Peter and John were brought before the authorities and they were ordered to never preach about Jesus again. And then in Acts 4.23 it says, On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And then that prayer is recorded in verses 24 through 30. The followers of Jesus were empowered for ministry through prayer. 
In response to their prayer, the Holy Spirit filled them and gave them courage to share the gospel of Jesus with other people. And in Acts 4.31, it says, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Well, the number of disciples increased dramatically in those first few months. By the time we get to Acts chapter 6, the church in Jerusalem was facing a serious problem because of that growth. The original 12 disciples, they couldn't manage everything and everyone anymore. There were several thousand people who were now part of the church. They needed other people to help with the day-to-day operations. So in Acts 6, 2, it says, So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. So first I want us to notice the priorities that the apostles have for themselves. Prayer and teaching about Jesus. It continues in verse 5, it says, This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert of Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So again, we see prayer being an important part of the life of the church. They are praying for guidance and then praying for blessing and commissioning for service. The church is linked to the Lord in every aspect of its life through prayer. The first Christian martyr was Stephen. He had been arrested on a false charge of blasphemy. And when the authorities gave Stephen the opportunity to defend himself against these charges, he stood before the court and presented this scathing speech found in Acts chapter 7, stating that they were just like their forefathers, always resisting the things God is doing. In Acts 7.54, it says, When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses said their meanwhile the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul, and we know him as Paul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep or died. We see Stephen praying literally with his last breath. 
He's considered to have been one of the most sold-out, godly people who have ever lived. And the activity that dominated his life was prayer. The story about who Jesus is and what he has accomplished through his death and resurrection, it's spread to the surrounding regions beyond Jerusalem. In Acts 8, 14, it says, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. The early followers of Jesus, they didn't do anything of any significance without getting the Lord involved in it through prayer. They knew that the Lord was the source of power for a company for accomplishing anything of eternal value. There was a follower of Jesus in Joppa named Tabitha, who was known and loved by many people because she was always doing good deeds for people and helping the poor. She became very sick and then died. And Peter, he happened to be in a nearby town at the time, so the disciples in Joppa asked him to come. And when he arrived at the house where Tabitha's body was, it was this very sad scene with people crying and mourning her loss. And in Acts 9, 40, it says, Peter sent them all out of the house, out of the room, and then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. There's no limit to what prayer can accomplish. No limit. It's only limited by what God can accomplish, and God's power has no limits. Persecution against the church grew steadily over time. And in Acts chapter 12, King Herod had James, the brother of John, put to death. And when he saw that pleased the crowd. He then arrested Peter and had him put in prison, intending to have him put on trial and killed after the Passover. In Acts 12, 5, it says, So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The church, it couldn't assemble a special forces rescue operation to infiltrate the prison and break Peter out. The church couldn't pull some political strings with Rome to have him released. There was only one thing that they could do, pray. And that's what they did. And look at the result of their prayer in Acts 12, 6. It says, the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, Put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. The angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and the second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It, it opened for them by itself. And they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. 
The church in Antioch was thriving, where the message about Jesus was spreading rapidly among Gentiles in the region. During a time of worship and fasting, the Holy Spirit said in Acts 13, 2, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, or who we know as Paul, for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Prayer is a huge part of the church's life everywhere, not just in Jerusalem, not just among the Jewish believers, but here we see the church in Antioch, which is predominantly Gentile believers, praying as they commissioned Barnabas and Paul for their first missionary journey. When Paul and Silas were in the city of Philippi preaching about Jesus, Paul, he exercised a demon from a slave girl. And that removed a special ability that she had to predict the future, which her masters had made a lot of money from. Well, when the slave girl's owners realized what Paul had done, they were very angry. And they had Paul and Silas brought before the authorities, and they incited a riot against them. Paul and Silas were stripped and beaten and then thrown into prison. And in Acts 16, 25, it says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. So the Lord, He answers the prayers of His people, sometimes in very dramatic fashion. As He was sailing back to Jerusalem, Paul, he met with the elders of the Ephesian church in Miletus. And he gave them some final words of encouragement and warning, knowing that he would not see them again. In Acts chapter 20, verse 36, when Paul had finished speaking, it says he knelt down with all of them and prayed. Again, we see that prayer was a regular part of the believers' lives. Here, Paul prays for the Ephesian believers, entrusting them to God, knowing that they will need God's help. The persecutions that were coming, the false teachers that would infiltrate and try to destroy the church from within. These were things the church would not be able to survive in its own strength. They needed the strength of God to face these things. Praying was as natural for the early believers as breathing. And prayer was as necessary for their spiritual life as breathing is for our physical life. And it's as true for believers today as it was then. We're commanded to pray. We're told to devote ourselves to prayer in Colossians 4.2. We're told to pray continually in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. We're told to be faithful in prayer in Romans 12.12. 12. In Philippians 4.6, that familiar passage says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In closing, I share the words of John Laidlaw with us. 
He said, the main lesson about prayer is just this. Do it, do it, do it. You want to be taught to pray? My answer is pray. <laughs> and so I say to all of us, let's pray. Both now and always. Let's bow our heads. Father, may we take the words of John Laidlaw to heart and do it. Pray. We, we, we don't need more lessons on how to pray. We just need to start doing it. Lord, we, it, 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 it should just leave us dumbfounded to imagine that the creator of this vast universe invites us to communicate with him. And prayer is the way that we do that. Lord, call our hearts to you. May we be better, more devoted prayers. Lord, make that so in us. In Jesus' name, amen.